Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. There are many, many factors that are driving consumption of plant-based milks. And when you have that many factors driving a category, it gives you a lot of confidence in the future success. The huge popularity of plant-based milk products is a success story 30 years in the making, but it takes innovation, planning, and execution to have real staying power. We have capacity for our customers to grow. And in a category that is growing double digits, partnering with somebody who's continuing to invest ahead of the curve and create capacity for your brand or your business to grow is hugely important. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. A growing number of food companies are investing in sustainable product development, but only a handful are getting it right. Joining me to talk about doing sustainability successfully is Joe Ennin. Joe is the CEO and a board member at Sun Opta, which trades under the symbol STKL. The company sources, processes, and produces organic, natural, and non-GMO plant and fruit-based food and beverage products. They sell to retail customers, food service distributors, branded food companies, and food manufacturers, and they have 14 processing facilities, mainly in North America. Joe has over three decades of experience as a food industry leader and veteran. Prior to his current role, he was Group Vice President of Innovation at PepsiCo and served as the CEO of Columbus Foods and Columbus Manufacturing. Joe has an undergraduate degree in finance and marketing from University of Minnesota and an MBA from University of Michigan. Let's enter the arena with Joe Lennon. Synopta is a sustainability food and beverage company. We were founded in the early 1970s in Canada with a mission to bring sustainability products to the market. And 50 years later, we continue with that heritage, that vision, and that legacy. We have two main businesses. The first is plant-based beverages. So when I say that, think almond milk, soy milk, coconut milk, oat milk, et cetera. And we focus on the shelf-stable portion of that, which has a very large food service component. So think coffee shops, et cetera. The second big part of our business is in the fruit business. We have two business units there. The first is... Think bags of frozen fruit in the grocery store. That's principally a private label business. We have a very, very large organic uh, 
portion of that business. So we are one of, if not the largest organic frozen fruit processor in North America. And the second is a small but mighty and fast growing fruit snacks business. So think better for you, organic, clean label fruit snacks for kids. You've been at the company for roughly three and a half years, a little bit more than that, and, and made a lot of changes and improvements. How does the company today compare to what you envisioned when you first took the job? When I joined back in 2019, I was incredibly excited about the categories that the company was participating in and certainly incredibly passionate and excited about the sustainability focus of the business. But we endeavored and set out a plan to transform the portfolio to focus more on the value-added nature of the portfolio as opposed to the commodities. So we made a significant divestiture of one of the business units that existed when I joined, a global commodity trading business that we divested at the end of 2020 that at the time was 40% of the company. When I joined, we were 30% value-added manufacturing, 70% commodity. Fast forward to today, we are 60% value-added, 40% commodity, and we certainly have ambitions to continue to focus and grow the value-added segment of manufacturing versus the commodity nature of the portfolio. So I would definitely say the portfolio is a work in progress. We continue to make clear strategic choices, and we continue to progress in the direction that we outlined early in 2019. You had an investor day recently and laid out five strategic imperatives for the business. And what I think is so impressive is you're kind of steering the battleship while also putting up a great financial performance. Maybe talk about those imperatives and how everybody has buy-in into those. Yeah. So those five strategic imperatives are not new. Those are the things that we have been endeavoring to strengthen and fortify since I joined the company. In the plant-based beverage segment, we think we have some very strong competitive advantages as evidenced by our overall market share in shelf-stable plant-based beverages, which is quite high. And we continue to invest in people, processes, and systems to strengthen and fortify that. One specific component of that is the development of a greenfield manufacturing plant south of Dallas-Fort Worth that will come online at the end of this year, which really, again, strengthens our overall supply chain advantages and gives us a TAM expansion. We have really endeavored to radiate out from the core as it relates to the business focus. So one of the significant TAM expansions that we are excited about is our entry into the what is uh, affectionately referred to in the industry as 330 milliliter or known to listeners as probably the protein shake that's in your gym bag or your refrigerator. That particular size is 330 milliliters and is really the industry standard. Ties very directly into our core competencies of running shelf-stable products and we're excited about that as a TAM expansion of the business. The fourth one is be and be recognized as a sustainability company. We are a sustainability food company. Everything we do every day is about producing products that are better for the environment. And sustainability is a core part of our culture. 
core part of how we build and operate the business. And for us, sustainability is far more than just putting solar panels on the roof or buying some carbon credits. Sustainability is what we do every day because the products we make and sell are better for the environment. The last component, and certainly not the least, because I believe that culture is the differentiator for any business, is we have really sought to create an incredibly customer-centric, entrepreneurial, problem-solving culture that is driven and fueled by passion. And I am incredibly proud of the progress that we have made. We track it two or three times a year. We measure our overall progress and effectiveness against building a high-performance culture. And uh, I think we're building something very special at Sunopta as it relates to an environment and a place where people can come, be their authentic self, and really contribute and make an impact on the business. Back to the ESG theme, I would imagine you're not only living that every day, but you're you're making your customers better in that area as well. That has to be a huge draw of doing business with you. And do you think like investors and analysts kind of get how important that is for the company? I think it's definitely an underappreciated component of Synopta's business model and the products that we manufacture. And again, this is you know, the products that we are manufacturing are better for the environment. So every case of product we produce every day, the core thing that we are manufacturing is better for the environment, as opposed to many of the companies focused in ESG are making products that maybe they're indifferent as far as an environmental impact. And so they're focused on the perimeter or the periphery, if you will, of driving a sustainability agenda, whereas for us, it's the core of what we do. And I, I don't think that that is fully appreciated. We are certainly making much more effort to tell our sustainability story. We've outlined some very aggressive ESG goals. We published our sustainability report, and we are certainly doing what is required from a marketing and a, and a public uh, scorecarding metrics standpoint to make sure that we're recognized and valued as a sustainability-minded company. What's your overview of the market today and consumer preferences and how you think that's going to pan out over the next three to five years? I have to think we're still in the early innings of all of this, right? I think we're absolutely still in the early innings, really in the U.S. Plant-based milks date back to sort of the early 80s with the introduction of soy milk might surprise some folks in other countries where products like soy milk have been in existence for almost a thousand years. But uh, for the U.S. consumer, it would appear to be still a relatively new product category. I think the thing that is exciting about this category specifically and something that I've not seen in 35 years of being in the food business is there are many, many, um, specifically five factors that are driving consumption of plant-based milks. And when you have that many factors driving a category, it gives you a lot of confidence in the future success. Those five factors that are driving the category are taste preference. So consumers who grew up drinking almond milk or soy milk, they actually prefer the taste of that to cow milk. And that's a huge sticky factor that will continue to drive the category growth. 
the health benefits of the category are increasingly well understood by consumers. There is a very strong knowledge and awareness of the sustainability benefits of plant-based milks. Animal welfare continues to be a topic of interest for consumers, especially younger consumers. And last but certainly not least is food allergies. 33% of Americans are lactose intolerant. 65% of people on planet Earth are lactose intolerant. And so when you're selling a product that for some consumers solves a very uh, immediate medical need, all five of those factors in aggregate give me a lot of confidence in the overall future growth of the category. So the category has been growing for 30 years. It is not an oat milk driven phenomena. It is those five factors that have been driving the category and oat milk has certainly been an exciting entree in addition to plant-based milks, but all of those things were going on well before oat milk. All of the growth of the category 20% kegger was fueled by those five factors, not by oat milk. Sunopta has a strong group of A-list customers that have stayed with them for a really long time. To make sure big brands stick around, you need to offer value and excellence at every turn. We have a holistic customer value proposition that we try to deliver on, and there are many tenants to being a great supplier to some of the strongest and biggest brands in America. We have an advantaged supply chain, which affords our customers redundancy of supply, as well as freight savings across the United States. So we have three soon to be four manufacturing plants that we've created basically a diamond shape across the United States. So we have a plant in Pennsylvania, one in Minnesota, one in California, and one in Texas. So when you think about that on a map, you have not only supply redundancy for our customers, but you also have significant freight savings because we can ship to any point in the U.S. at a advantaged cost compared to one of our competitors. We have capacity for our customers to grow. And in a category that is growing double digits, partnering with somebody who's continuing to invest ahead of the curve and create capacity for your brand or your business to grow is hugely important. We do an amazing job in customer service. We have exceptionally high customer case fill rates, and we're quite proud of that. And then the innovation and R&D component is certainly a capability that we have endeavored to build here in the last several years in order to afford our customers the opportunity for them to grow, for them to more aggressively pursue new products. And that same R&D capability has made us a great partner for new customers because at the end of the day, they need to bring their formulas into our plants. And there's always some tweaking and some modifications that need to be done. And having a great R&D capability that allows them to quickly and efficiently get their product formulations stood up and operating in our plants is a huge advantage to them. When you kind of have a commitment to innovation and, and helping your clients with R&D, it must be very tricky when you have such a diverse customer base like CPG companies, major retailers, and, and your own brands. How do you balance that all out? Well, you know, as we think about the 
innovation priorities, we're, we're focused on some of the big thematic drivers like oat milk. You know, early in 2019, we saw the very early flicker of consumer interest there and made at the time the biggest capital investment in the history of the company, which was to fourfold increase our capacity in oat milk. And it has proved to be a great return for our investors. We are uh, one of the leaders in oat milk. We will do over a hundred million in revenue this year in oat milk alone. And again, speaks to our approach to innovation, which is looking for big thematic changes in the industry and then being ready to access those opportunities, whether it's through our own brands, partner brands, or a combination thereof. In a pretty volatile time, you were able to put up a, a super impressive period of growth, which seemingly was across all aspects of the business. Yeah, we had a great second quarter. You know, we as a company pride ourselves on executing, and we did an exceptionally good job executing in our manufacturing plants with our customers in the in the second quarter. We have been adding capacity for the better part of the last two years. And so that has afforded us the opportunity to go out and bring on new customers, bring on new products uh, and expand our business. And so the thing that was most encouraging for us about the second quarter was the volume growth. You saw and are seeing a lot of companies in CPG posting revenue growth on the back of pricing, but that the underlying trend in the business is soft volumes or declining volumes, but revenue growth through pricing. The thing that was particularly exciting about the quarter that we posted was we certainly had some revenue growth from pricing, but we also had really strong volume growths. And that speaks to the strength of the categories that we're in and that the consumer continues to buy these products. And it also speaks to our ability and our uh, value proposition to customers that we're able to partner with brands that are winning in the marketplace and also bring on new business. So, you know, really for the quarter that we posted, it was volume growth that I think was the differentiating part of the story. Of course, as a public company, it's uh, what have you done for me lately? And this year has been pretty volatile with, um, you know, war in Europe and inflation and all of that. How do you operate through that and kind of guide the team? You know, the thing that we love most about this business is we have a lot of ways to win. We have private label, we have brands. And so if there is a shift from branded products to private label, we will be able to seamlessly move with that consumer trend. Our participant and manufacturer many, many types of plant-based milks. So we manufacture soy milk, almond milk, coconut milk, hemp, macadamia, et cetera. So, and we are agnostic and we have fungible manufacturing assets that allow us to pivot and flex with the consumer. We have a pretty near even split between food service and traditional retail in terms of business mix. And so again, if there is a shift that the consumer takes and moving from food service to more at-home consumption, we're well positioned to flow with that change. So, you know, overall, we think not that there aren't, you know, going to be changes in the composition of the growth, but that no matter what happens with the consumer, we're well positioned 
to capitalize on and ride the changing consumer landscape. The portfolio is incredibly diverse in how you approach it, which is critically important for a company like yours. And just just to make that example a little bit more specific, you know, like if there are fewer almond milk lattes sold in the world and there was a mix shift in that consumer behavior, you're there to capture it wherever that goes, correct? Absolutely correct. I mean, we are not called the Sun Oat company or anything like that. We want to be in a position to move with the consumer wherever they go. Today, it's still very much an almond milk world. Over 60% of the category is still almond milk. Oat is number two at 20% soy milk, 8% roughly market share. So, you know, despite the view from many in the consumer media, uh, it's a pretty actually consolidated category with almond, oat, and soy representing almost 90% of the category. So we're well positioned to ride out any changes in consumer behavior, whatever product type they prefer, whether there's a channel shift or a shift amongst brands. When you sit down with investors, what do you think that they miss about the story in terms of why the company is so valuable? I think they miss, and it's not hard to understand how they miss this, but the degree of difficulty of manufacturing shelf-stable plant-based milks. You know, again, I've worked in dozens, if not a hundred different food categories in my 35 years. And from a technical knowledge standpoint and the requirement and necessity to be an outstanding manufacturer, this category is unlike anything I've ever seen. It's incredibly technical and it's incredibly financially painful. We manufacture products that are manufactured with such a high level of sterility and such a high level of precision that they can be stored and kept at ambient temperatures. And that is incredibly difficult to do at high speeds, 365 days of the year and deliver great results. And so I think it's hard for investors. I think they look at the food business as sort of one thing and making shelf-stable plant-based milks and making a frozen pizza are not the same degree of difficulty of the dive. No disrespect to the frozen pizza category, but you know, it's just a different level of complexity and technical requirement. One of the things I thought was most impressive about the quarter is, again, in a tough environment, you were able to raise revenue and adjusted EBITDA guidance, and you also addressed capacity pretty thoroughly. Maybe you can tell the audience when when that capacity is coming online over the next couple of years. In early 2020, we outlined a strategic goal, which was to double the size of our plant-based business from what at the time was 400 million of revenue in 2020 to 800 million of revenue by the end of 2025. In order to achieve that growth, we have undertaken six major capital expansion projects across our existing manufacturing network, as well as the Greenfield plant in Texas. Five of the six projects are done and they are contributing to the growth that you see in our results today. If you look at the business and where we, you know, where we could end the year, we will be pushing 
almost 600 million of revenue in our plant-based business unit. That's up 50% versus 24 months ago. For us, the capacity expansion is not a field of dreams endeavor of wait for it, we're building it, it's going to come. We have capacity additions that we've made in the business that are contributing to growth today. They contributed last year, they're contributing this year, they'll contribute next year and into the foreseeable future. So we're incredibly proud of the execution that we've been able to deliver in very challenging supply chain environments with equipment delays and delays in what would seem to be nearly everything from structural steel to computer chips. We have executed every one of those six projects on time and on budget. And investors love certainty and there's nothing that's absolutely certain in the world, but having that capacity coming online and it's certain and it's tangible has got to make you feel really good about your long-term growth algorithm, at least for the next three to five years. It certainly does because there are a lot of factors driving the consumer into plant-based milks. And we think the combination of the consumer enthusiasm for the category, the great partner brands and retailers that we work with, along with our own capacity and capabilities, that that represents a great three-legged stool from which we can deliver great results for our investors. There's a lot to learn from SunUp to success. They're diversified, they're adding capacity to fuel growth, and they're committed to innovation. It's a winning combination that has seen them put up strong numbers in a really uncertain environment. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Joe Lennon for being on the show. Joe's decades of experience in the food industry has helped push Sunopta ahead. It's exciting to see a company so uniquely positioned in a strong secular trend, not only setting aggressive targets, but more importantly, executing against them. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.